0: Well, welcome to the Memorial Weekend After Hours with me, Rick Kogan. I'm holding in my hand one of the best books I can remember reading. And it's not just because the title is Last Call at the Hotel Imperial, the reporters who took on a world at war. It is a, a, a insightful, fascinating, and... Deborah Cones, is the author. Deborah, I, this book is fun, too. I mean, it may not have been fun to write because it's a big project, but it is also an incredible amount of fun. And though I know and have a little knowledge of the four main characters in the book, uh, I didn't know them anywhere near well enough.
1: It was a joy to write, actually. And thank you so much for having me on sure. the show.
0: Sure. I've had Northwestern professors on before (laughs) and friends and friends of Liz Taylor's on before. You're from Louisville. You went to school there. You grew up there. When did you decide?
1: I saw William Shire talk there. Amazingly.
0: How old were you?
1: Oh, I was in high school. It was, I think, nineteen eighty-eight, '89, and actually, my father was furious that Shire seemed to be talking down to the Louisvillians, which now that I realize, you know, Shire grew up in Cedar uh, Rapids.
0: Yeah, I yeah, am
1: Not sure, you know, why my father felt that way, but anyway.
0: Well, you're not telling me that that uh, encounter is what.
1: No, actually, it's another Louisville encounter, which is that my mother. Was assigned John Gunther's 1949 Death Be Not Proud as a high school student. Like many high school students, it was required reading for her in a civics class. And we had that book.
0: What did she think of the book?
1: Oh, she was completely enraptured by it. I I think
0: I have not met anybody. I've read it too, uh, as millions of others read it, but don't seem to read it much anymore, even though it's still in print. what did you think when you first read it? That's a book by John Gunther about the uh, the sad, really sad death of his son, a uh, brain tumor. Uh, and it was a landmark book.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I remember reading it and feeling like, well, actually, I had a, a reaction that I now realize is common, which is having read lots of letters from kids who read it in the 50s and 60s when they were assigned it. I had the impression that I wish that I could be like, you know, young Johnny Gunther, who was yeah. such an exemplary person. And I think that that wasn't just in the book. You know, that wasn't just served up. To- sure.
0: But one of the other things that I've, I've learned in reading uh, Last Call at the Hotel Imperial is that John Gunther and his very, very, very interesting mm-hmm. wife, Frances, they had a, a daughter who died as an infant.
1: Yeah. So they had their first child died of what we would now call a crib death, but then was called something like a thalmic death. Mm. And that happened, they had been living, the baby was born in Paris. And then they came back to Chicago for the funeral of John Gunther's mother. And the baby died, they left her, you know, with a nurse in the evening and came back and she died.
0: That is an extra punctuation point on the tragedy that was. And there's some other problems in their marriage and their life. But back to you, what did you major in college and where'd you go?
1: I did history and women's studies and I was an undergraduate at Harvard, or I guess as it was then, Harvard Radcliffe. Right. And then I went to do a Ph.D. at Berkeley.
0: Was it with the intention of teaching or of writing?
1: Both both i mean almost all of us write and teach although you know as you can guess from the fact that i wrote a book about journalists of course what i really wanted to be was a journalist i wanted to be a foreign correspondent how
0: did you flirt with that career did you
1: i never did no no i mean i got completely hijacked by archives and really never looked back but i think my my youthful idea um i was the editor of the school newspaper i started the school newspaper so yeah i've
0: who, who were the journalists that inspired you in those days?
1: So Vincent Sheehan, who is actually in this book, yes. in Last Call, my father gave me Personal History, which was Sheehan's landmark 1935 sure. book. Sure, And my dad had read it as a child, I think. He was born in 30. <laughs> um, and I... Uh, it's, it's the kind of book that... Just like for the, you know, thousands of people who wrote to Sheehan and said, my life will never be the same for reading this book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. It makes anyone want to be a foreign correspondent. You know, and there's so many foreign correspondent movies that come out of that, this group of people. But well, also- one of
0: one of my favorites, foreign correspondents, inspired by one of your. Yeah, characters. by
1: Sheehan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. By personal yeah. history.
0: And he but I don't know if he was as cool as uh, Joel McRae, but cooler, he might have been cooler. Well, these these four people. We'll deal with your career later if we get to it. But these four people, John Gunther, H.R. Nick, Knickerbocker, uh, Vincent Sheehan, and the astonishing Dorothy Thompson, to my mind, it, they have unfairly been buried by history's dust. These These four people, among many in the book, were as famous as famous could be. Dorothy Thompson uh, was a Time magazine or something. yeah
1: Time magazine. Time has, magazine yeah. at one on point the cover, nineteen thirty-nine.
0: Thirty-nine. She and Eleanor Roosevelt as the two most influential people, women in the world
1: in America. But same difference. same <laughs> right? Name another. Name <laughs> yeah.
0: another one. Right. Uh, why, why? is that? Where are we, why are they forgotten, forgotten? Or yes. Have... Why? Why have? Why.
1: It's a really good question. I mean, I do think that their, you know, their métier was the moment and that they wrote in a particular style that then became much more unfashionable in the 40s, you know, when objectivity was re-enshrined. I mean, they were pretty emotional and subjective. And so a lot of what we think about as the new journalism, those techniques they pioneered, but by the time the new journalism comes around, you know, Joan Didion doesn't say, well, I really got everything I knew. from well, you know, I, I suppose,
0: you know, in a way, I suppose it's possible that people like, you know, I, I feel now that Mailer is kind of oh, fading yeah. away.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Tom M- Wolf, Gore, not so much. Gore Vidal.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, Gay Talese. Yeah, I, right. There's no, Ben Heck once wrote a famous little poem about the, uh, I, I wish I could recite it. But yeah, about, yeah, me too. About we write each other's obits. And, Mostly come to grief and something, 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 mm-hmm. and are uh, all too mighty. Our lives are all too brief, or something. Mm-hmm. How did you? It, what, one of the things that it challenging for you was to select four of these foreign correspondents, influential writers in those years leading up to, specifically those years leading up to World War II. Mm-hmm. That space between the wars. Why four? why these four it would have been much i'm not sure it would have been easier but to just do two or maybe add another one Mm. Uh, so how did
1: i decide which that this this was the group
0: yeah exactly
1: so this was the group of friends who in a sense you know they were in and out of each other's lives they were drinking in bars they were oh yeah yeah. and they were um swapping tips (laughs) they were getting advice they were comparing notes. And so the choice of the group actually wasn't all that hard in the sense that there were other people that I've got a kind of inner circle and outer circle. So there are people in the outer circle I wish I could have written more about, like the amazing Chicagoan, Emily Hahn, sure, um, Mickey Hahn. But- i
0: a great friend of my mother's. Un- Unbelievable. There's a lot of g- crossover and in-depth things here. I'm going to spend this whole hour with Deborah Cohn talking about last call at the Hotel Imperial, the reporters who took on a world at war. It is basically about four of these reporters, but you also have you know Rebecca West and Sinclair Lewis and Polly Adler for Christ's oh, sake. Oh
1: yes, Polly Adler, Polly Adler <laughs> right. coming
0: in. If you don't know who Polly Adler was, I'm sure there have been a number of biographies written of her. She was like the
1: there's the, a new the one single by Everly Duffel.
0: sister of I- her of her day. We'll be back in a couple minutes. Welcome back. I'm here with Deborah Cohn, the author of a Last Call at the Hotel Imperial. The reporters who took on a world at war; those reporters are four fascinating people, insightful, so, sort of crusading, I think, and also uh, <coughs> incredibly tireless. At the beginning of the book are, are some maps of the travels of these guys. It make they make me dizzy here. Let's get let's do short little takes on on uh, some of them. Uh, H.R. Knickerbocker, a wonderful name, Hubert Renfro Knickerbocker, yep. everybody called Nick. He's from Texas.
1: Born in Yocum, and he shoots out of <sighs> there, as it's said, snapping at facts like a terrier. <laughs> um, and then he goes and works on the Newark paper. So he was working in, you know, big city dailies, publishing four stories a day, Diamond Heist and Jewel you know
0: ah, the smuggling days, yeah. yeah
1: exactly gangsters gangsters and more gangsters and then he goes he decides he's going to be a become a psychiatrist and he goes to munich and in 1923 he walks right into the beer hall putsch taking place and goes back to being a reporter mm. he is the only reporter whose dispatches mussolini bothers to read all the way through that's what mussolini says
0: mussolini a former journalist himself exactly which I yes never known or yeah. forgotten until i read it in your book
1: yeah there's a kind of dictators um, are the alter egos of the journalists or the journalists are the alter egos of the dictators
0: you must have uh, Deborah Cohn, in spending so much time with uh, a lot of people but these specifically these four you must have gotten a real sort of felt an intimacy with these people did you like knickerbocker
1: i le- i actually liked them all
0: yeah in the yeah. sense
1: that I thought that they were incredibly brave, and sometimes well, they're one, wrong.
0: One of the things that gets me about all of them too is the is the uh, intense level of curiosity.
1: Yes, exactly. They went everywhere, as you say. What you know, they're on. Knickerbocker takes off for the Soviet Union to see Stalin's first five year plan. He has fifty pounds of sardines in his suitcase. He travels everywhere, places that he's not supposed to be going including to see, you know, the big Soviet steel mills, the yeah. sort of Gary, Indiana steel mill, uh, Soviet answer to Gary, Indiana being built. Yeah, well,
0: when, You know, all of these these four people specifically are all sort of Midwestern people. Uh, as was ben hecht uh is is that something that informs their behavior I, it's crucial for all of them because
1: so? they understand their readers so they're the people who can speak to americans because these are the people who they grew up with so someone like jimmy sheehan vincent sheehan he's born in downstate illinois in pena mining town at that point point, seventy five hundred people so with when he wants to imagine who his readers are he just thinks about the people he grew up with Mm -hmm. and so they become the kind of people you can syndicate to millions and millions of americans that's
0: interesting too. remind me if i've if i'm making a mistake he was a ufc guy university another ufc too yep scholarship boy uh, just like john gunther famously john gunther how did the ufc inform those two guys at the time
1: Well, I mean, both of them would say that they didn't learn very much of anything there, um, which, you know, I don't know whether that's true or not. I mean, for Jimmy Sheehan says it was basically like a kind of country club, um, or he treated it like a country club. There were people who were serious. Um, What's for sure is that they missed all the big intellectual stuff that was happening at UFC, like John Dewey, all that just passed them by. Um, But, of course, they did get... They must have gotten a first class education. And that sent them off. Well, but the great the thing world.
0: about the UFC at that time with, you know, Robert Maynard and Hutchins, it was like, you know, there are no grades here. There are no tests here. Study what you want to study. Right. So there was a real sort of intellectual freedom.
1: Yeah. Involved, and the, and I again, think. both of them say that they didn't do very much with it, that they're much more caught up in the social life, mm. uh, maybe like most college students. Oh, yes. um, but yeah, I mean, it sends. You know, from the U they go off into the world in the early 20s, you know, via the big city papers.
0: Yeah, what, one of the great lines in here is uh, it, the beginning of uh, chapter one, actually. Young man going someplace was the way the old timers at the Chicago Daily News described overeager cub reporters like John Gunther. There were a lot of overeager uh, reporters at the time, and all of yours seem over eager but most of them didn't have the tools with which to do this one of the things about all four of these people they were led incredibly interesting and active private lives but nevertheless were as prolific I mean, they make Hemingway look like a you know a, a
1: piker, like yes. he's just laying around yeah. doing nothing. Yeah,
0: yeah. Hemingway, probably the most famous writer of that uh, of that, right? And era.
1: former journalists as yes, well. Yes,
0: indeed, indeed, indeed. So
1: right. I mean, they're rocketing from one place to another, following every crisis that's breaking out in Europe in the twenties and thirties, which is taking them all over
0: you know Central Europe. One of the things that occurs to me is is they were all not. <laughs> They underestimated some of the people they were uh, covering, did they not?
1: So there's the division there, which is that H.R. Knickerbocker and Dorothy Thompson um, uh, had very different impressions of Hitler.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, someone like John Gunther, we'll get. I'll come back to that in a second. Sure. John Gunther was raising the alarm about the rise of the dictators from the time of 1926. So he's oh. 25 then. And he sees he says to a girl he's trying to impress Emily Hahn,
0: yeah,
1: you know the big story is not the rise of democracy, yeah. which is what everyone else thinks it is after the Paris peace treaty, but it's the rise of the dictators,
0: yeah,
1: um We're... anyway, Knickerbocker mm-hmm. um again, like Gunther, is really worried about Hitler in particular, but Dorothy Thompson, who becomes one of the most astute."
0: Well, Dorothy Thompson is not only would she rank as a feminist hero, I and mean, she is the model for the modern journalist. I mean, she was yep. a syndicated newspaper columnist. She had an in- astonishingly popular radio program that had a, a huge reach. Yeah. I mean, she's sort of like a combination of like <laughs> there isn't a columnist around who has that kind of reach now. But you like, you know, Larry King or somebody. I mean, exactly.
1: Yeah. No. And And who and- was she?
0: Tell people who she was.
1: So Dorothy Thompson was a minister's daughter. Um, She goes. She gets her start in PR so via the suffrage movement. So Mm -hmm. she's a suffragist. Gets her start in PR. Then she kind of decides I'm going to be an international journalist and takes herself off with a couple hundred dollars in her handbag to
0: Europe. Right there, this woman for that and a number of other reasons should be one of the great feminist heroes of the 20th century
1: certainly everyone should know who dorothy thompson is no
0: kidding um but
1: she becomes the first woman um, american woman to lead a major overseas news bureau in berlin she becomes the first american reporter to get kicked out of nazi germany in 1934 and then she becomes the first american uh, woman to have an op-ed column so a political column of her own
0: yeah she astonishes me do you like her
1: I I you do, I you like the all. All yes, people. Yes, yes, you yes. Adore I don't all these I'm people. You know, I tried to maintain the appropriate critical distance but fundamentally they no, struggles. I get the no yeah, oh, no. I yeah. s- I
0: see it see Ben. Uh, John Gunther wrote uh, years after uh, where he is featured in the book, he wrote and this applies to all of them. Uh quote, we were scavengers, buzzards out to get the news no matter whose wings we got clipped. And millions of Americans, this is a different time, ladies and gentlemen, this is not Fox News and it's not CNN, millions of Americans got their foreign news from a very small number of international reporters. That's crucial for you to remember, and you'll get it from this book. In those interwar years, American foreign correspondents became the kings of the hill. You also say they were armed with a peculiar American obsession with personalities and they sounded an early warning about the rise of the dictators. That's really well put. I mean, that is really, really well put. Deborah Con is the author of Last Call at the Hotel Imperial. We were talk about some of those Last Call encounters and some of the uh, raucous private lives of these workaholics. And no question about it. And also how you went about, Writing this book because I would like to know, Deborah Cohn, and you can think about this during the news whether the style of the very distinctive style of these four people influenced you at all. Stay tuned, we'll be back with Deborah Cohn in a few minutes. Here is an example of what a great researcher and writer Deborah Cohn is. It exists in the pages of Last Call at the Hotel Imperial, the reporters who took on a world war. She writes about the famous uh, British writer Rebecca West coming to Chicago and uh, meeting uh, John Gunther. When John and Rebecca met one evening at the University of Chicago, she was a well-seasoned 30. He was a decidedly tender 22. Then she has, and this is part of the great research, this might not even have had to be in the book, but she... as Rebecca was eager to see America and when she arrived in New York she was not she was wasn't all that impressed she said she wrote this whole place strikes me as a greedy children's party she wrote her sister appalled by the relentless getting and spending Chicago was different in its swagger and newness it wasn't like any place she had ever seen From her room at the Drake Hotel, she marveled at the never-ending lake, its gray-green wintry water tugged by millions of waves. She nicknamed uh, the young John Gunther John Silence because he never stopped talking. Uh, She called him a a gothic angel tall and slender and golden-haired. She'd later introduce him to her friends in London by saying, This is John Gunther, who comes from Chicago. In fact, he is Chicago. He is a moral imbecile, but a darling. That's a great, that's just a great quote. And you got that from, as you describe here, uh, The archives of of these and other people, an archive that is a jumble of private and public. Uh, These extraordinary records made it possible to capture the texture and the course of their thought at very close hand. You also write, Deborah Cohn, my aim as an author has been to follow their own lead in journalists to convey how it felt to live so exposed to history in the making When I indicate what a person felt or thought, I am always drawing upon archival documents. Their repertorial method was intimate and immediate, and as I worked in their papers, it often felt like walking in on an argument. Even when they were far apart, even after they fell out, they kept right on talking and arguing long after the actual conversation had ended." I, I am so impressed with your research here. And as you describe it here, it's a mountain of stuff. How was the writing of this book for you, uh, Last Call of the Hotel Imperial? Was it difficult?
1: So I I started it and I wrote about 100 pages, 125 pages, which I then had to throw out. Yeah. Um, because what, was wrong with them? what I wanted to do actually was to write a book that would be just based upon what they knew at that moment, um, so that you were not only hearing their voices, but you were actually learning everything that they learned when mm-hmm. they learned it. Mm-hmm. So, because we tell this history backwards, right? We know what the end is, but of course, they didn't know what the end is, and that's exactly. what makes their archives amazing. Is sitting around thinking, you know, well, what's Stalin going to become? Yeah. Um, but it was too. It was it was too much. And so I had to draw back and give you more of a bird's eye view and, um, fig- yeah, figure out how to weave the stories as they sort of move in and out of each other's <clears throat> lives together. So, yeah, but for me, it really was an incredible pleasure. I mean, throwing away that hundred plus pages, that wasn't so great, but
0: how long did this take? The Eight, research? Years.
1: Eight years. Eight so, years. So, yeah, I mean, research and writing. So
0: never at any point did you say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. Oh, God, much. no, no,
1: no, no, no. no. I mean, I felt like, uh, first of all, that we should know these stories, that we should know th- about them. Yeah. And then also, they never let me go. I mean, they had jumped off the pages the very first time I had so. it. So did you have a sense them.
0: that you were you were doing giving these four people and some others to uh, long overdue justice?
1: Yeah, in some ways. I mean, there have been biographies of some of oh, I, Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, a really important biography of Dorothy Thompson for instance. Yeah. But um by Peter Kurth. But I felt like the sense of them as they confront both the rise of fascism but also anti-colonial movements like Gandhi and Nehru that those were stories that hadn't been told.
0: The other interesting thing about your book of the Dozens of interesting things about your book is that when when World War Two came along, finally, with all of their work preceding that, they kind of moved off stage, didn't they? Yeah. I
1: mean, Knickerbocker was a war reporter. Shein was also
0: did some war reporting, right, right?
1: You know, fundamentally, their moment had been the moment of warning. And so once the cataclysm comes, what do you say? Well, we told you so. People say that's what Dorothy Thompson should have entitled her book. I told you so. Yeah. Um, And then after that. Did
0: they do that? Were they regretful, do you think? I mean, they're...
1: I mean, so there's a moment when, Shein, when Jimmy Sheehan and John Gunther are talking in a bar after the war.
0: And, there's a lot of talking in bars. Oh, I there's mean, a lot it, of it, talking in bars. There's a lot of drinking Abs- in
1: yep. this book. There's a lot of drinking. There's a lot of alcoholism. There's a lot of everything. Um, and Sheehan says to Gunther, well, our moment is over. And Gunther thinks maybe your moment is over, but definitely my moment is not over. Yeah. Um, but Sheehan was right. They were much less culturally central
0: well his gunther's moment was uh, was still to come his inside europe book uh you write here as inside europe became a you, you do it 's a phenomenon yeah big displays of the book in Selfridge 's window sold out in the shops, rushed for reprinting uh he was as, as big a best selling author as and he was also a big you know sort of compelling You know, there were no talk shows for him to be on at the time, especially on TV. But he was a very uh, compelling, charismatic, saleable author.
1: Oh, yeah. Handsome, tall, blonde, six more than six feet tall, um, you know, with an affable manner. Um, he was on all of those shows, like Information, Please. He was a regular. You know, yeah. He also knew a ton. I knew we, everyone.
0: We can barely touch on all this stuff. I hope I'm giving you a real sense of... Uh,
1: here's, so here's one more good little detail about John Gunther. John Gunther introduced Polly Adler, who we were talking about before, yes. the ma- famous Manhattan brothel owner, madam, um, to uh, Eleanor Roosevelt. And as Jimmy Sheen said, John Gunther was the only person who probably knew them. Both.
0: Who could do that. Right. I'm going to very stop. I'm going to read one thing you write about uh, Polly Adler, and where John Gunther was a frequent uh, guest of this house. Uh, you could give Polly Adler a blank check when you arrived, and trust her to charge you exactly what you owed. The next morning, she never named names, but she liked to talk. It was more difficult to find girls to work because they were all doing war service, she told John. The sexual peculiarities these days, the higher the tensions got in Europe, the stranger the perversions. Now, if that doesn't compel you to buy this book, we'll kind of <laughs> I don't know what will. We'll take a, a short break and come back and uh, and I'll uh, continue to praise uh, Deborah Cohn's remarkable Last Call at the Hotel Imperial, the reporters who took on a world war, and it took on them. It changed all of their lives profoundly. We'll be back. Welcome back. have a few more minutes with Deborah Cohn, the author of Last Call at the Hotel Imperial, the reporters who took on a world war. It is filled with fascinating characters. I haven't even mentioned, you know, the uh, uh, there's Hitler. There's Mussolini. There's uh, you know. There's uh, Nehru. There's uh, you know. Everybody. Polly Adler. There's everybody. It just it is so rich with characters. And Debra Cone, you have done a remarkable job of keeping at the forefront these four interesting foreign correspondents who who literally defined, to my mind, that era between World War One and the outset of World War Two by reporting when. That's where people got news, ladies and gentlemen. Then came, you know, Edward R. Murrow and uh, Eric Severide and all those uh, talented guys. But this was a different scene. Uh, It is a remarkable book. It's been getting incredibly good reviews. How do you feel when you finish this book?
1: Sad, actually. Did you? Yes, of course, because I had to let go of them and sort of send them back out into the world.
0: And then you had to read reviews, almost uh, right. all, almost the, the vast majority of which have been incredibly favorable. Uh, do you like talking? You must like talking about it. You're delightful on the show.
1: Oh, I love talking about it because it's a way still of holding on to it all.
0: Yeah. Have you read? We talked early on in the show about how prolific these four were. You could not. Have you read everything they've written i mean
1: i probably haven't read every newspaper article although i've read through you know all the the sort of major ones um but yeah and the I books mean, too i mean oh the books oh, well the books of course um
0: did any of them influence you stylistically
1: yes well that's what i try to do in the book is actually make you hear them and so you know at the start of the book they're like young and wisecracking and be a irreverent, and then by the end of the book, of course, they're wised up and um, just angry in some ways. Yeah. nostalgic,
0: well, and a bit. I think. I mean, I sense a bit of disappointment. I mean, oh, movies, absolutely, yeah. You know, it's like it would be like you know Hemingway blew his brains out, for right? God's sake. Exactly, I, and Fitzgerald drank himself to death, and the
1: yeah, and Sheehan actually survives, but he survives in a way that um, he's just. He's trying to control something he knows he can't control, which is the ways in which people see them.
0: Yeah. And this is, I mean, somewhere out there now are some people trying to, in this fashion, sort of take the measure of the planet we live on. Yeah. Trying to tell the story. Very
1: brave people. Yeah. Sitting in Ukraine or sitting in the Russian Federation.
0: Yeah. You love teaching too, don't you? You teach at Northwestern. I do. What's your class?
1: So I teach everything from first-year students to graduate students. Really, and yeah, British history, European history, and the history of private life. Actually, which is a lot of what you know. My career has actually been about writing about.
0: Sure, and I know you're you're still on the uh, promotional bandwagon for this, but are you working on a new book?
1: Trying to decide what to do. Are you? Running through topics, discarding them, (laughs) picking them back up again.
0: You run through, you have a a delightful daughter with you, Alice, uh, who you call, and I've only talked to her for about two or three minutes. Uh, You call, correctly, I think, blazingly bright.
1: Or blazing brightly, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's blazingly bright. Yeah. She's, you know, she has all of the energy of youth and this brilliance and, and sparkliness.
0: Well, good luck with this book uh i think uh, it should be on everybody's summer reading list
1: it has been a complete pleasure to talk to you great
0: it's been you know these are all people because i'm a journalist because my father was even a better journalist these are all people i've been hearing about my whole life and reading my father would say here read this inside usa but who's this guy dad john gunther and then death be not proud is one of the most affecting uh books i've ever read and it 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 set the tone for a lot of books that came afterward dealing with the same Completely. topic. Completely.
1: He invents death. the grief memoir. Yeah,
0: and, and many of them nowhere near as good as that. It's a really honest book. Deborah Cohn, great to see you. Great to meet Alice and uh, continued success.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me my again. My pleasure.
0: Oh, my God, my pleasure.